Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Darren, what are we going to discuss today? Dave, I cannot believe it. Somehow you coerced someone for another special guest star. So why don't you introduce your our special guest today? Absolutely. Yeah, I guess this is proof you could fool some of the people some of the time. Um, Brian actually thinks I'm a half-decent human being, so um, we'll figure that out. So today we have with us the uh, president of Dill Air Control Systems, Brian Rigney. Uh, Brian's been with Dill for, well, over two decades, and I've never done anything for more than six years. So right away, I have huge admiration for that stick-to-itiveness. More importantly, He's a Flyers fan, so he's near and dear to my heart, uh, in spite of what happened at Lake Tahoe um, the other week. Uh, So, Brian, welcome to our Disarming Persuasion podcast. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, So, as I, you know, you know, and our listeners know, we always start off with the same question, which is, uh, what does the phrase disarming persuasion mean to you? Well, I think it's a little bit of a trick question, but, uh, you know, my answer would be it's it's the ability to influence others using tact and not force. So you're building a relationship, which is an easy cliche to, you know, to spit out, but you, you're trying to get buy in uh, for your idea or your product. And and instead of forcing something on somebody, you, you want to work with them and, and get them to understand and kind of help own it a little bit. And then you'll get better results. You know, and I, I usually don't comment uh, after a um, definition. However, the double entendre of the, the the name aside, that's as close to my definition as I've heard anybody say. So I, I appreciate that. Well, cool. Um, I wish you had. I should have checked if you sent me some cliff notes or something. <laughs> well, the, you know, we want we, we want a candid, you know, and we've had uh, many different um, definitions. So it's always interesting to me uh, what that is. So you mentioned, Brian, building relationships. Any suggestions and tips you can give the listeners on how you build relationships? I know you've been at this for a, a long time, 20, 21 years or something like that. What are your tips and suggestions for building relationships? Uh, I think number one, be sincere, be genuine. Now, if, if you tell someone you want to help them with the process or you want to save them money, for example, do you really mean it or are you just saying it? Um, you know, as far as being in it for the long run, like you said, I, I've, my reputation's important. Your reputation's important. If you want to be in an industry, if you want to be in a role for a significant amount of time, then you can't just go for the quick win. You can't just go for, I'm going to say something to get them to spend money or to appease them, um, or to get behind this particular, you know, thing that I'm working on. And that's it. Um, you've, you've got to be genuine. You've got to be sincere. And and if you don't care about it, that will bleed through, whether it's in your body language or eventually you kind of disappear, right? You, you get that sale or, or you get that, uh, you get what you wanted and then you're gone. And then that, that resonates. You can't go back and knock on that door again, long-term. You know, you you hit on something, um, we've talked about often on here and what you just 
find is my definition of integrity, which is acting as an integral whole, being true to yourself, right? Uh, walking the walkers, a lot of trite sayings about it, but that's, that's really, you know, being authentic. Uh, I have a coach of mine. That's what she says. She says, be authentic. And that's what you're talking about. One of the things I've noticed over 30 years is that sometimes we get um, tripped up because in order to be authentic, in order to stay true to ourselves, the situation is going to rise that it may appear as if we're going to lose something personally. At first, I guess this is a two-part question, Darren, so you, let me have the second part too, please. So part one is, has that ever happened to you? What, as far as losing or losing something personally or feeling like you may? Being in a situation where you've gone, wow, if I do the right thing as I know it to be or what I've said to do or who I am and this is being true to myself, I'm going to lose out. There's something that I'm going to miss out on. So has that scenario ever arose? Yeah, I can give you an example. We had uh, a large retailer who I won't name, and we had their business for for decades, and they were going out to bid. And they used a third party, which means spreadsheets and data inputs from someone who knows nothing about the intangibles. So I can tell you, you know, features and benefits that you can't document in a spreadsheet, uh, especially in a manufacturing environment or in a retail environment that, that, that we work in. Time, for example, is critical. So yes, you can save money by buying my competitor's product, but guess what? You're not gonna service as many customers that day. So with our product, you, you can sell a few more tires in a particular day, you, you can turn turn vehicles quicker. Um, in this case, you know the, the spreadsheet wasn't created quite correctly. In other words, the volumes weren't addressed right. And we could have manipulated it and said, you know what, the, the one that they're listing is the high volume. I can quote really low and probably win this bid. Um, but it's wrong. The, the, the data is wrong. And I know it because I've been supplying. So the volume really is from me. So I know it. So, you know, when you mentioned integrity, yes, I could have won that uh, by lowballing what they had as listed as the wrong volume. But instead, we went back and said, look, your, your inputs are incorrect. Here's what it should be. And in doing so, quite honestly, we lost the bid. Someone else underbid us, but we did the right thing. And guess what? That that buyer who was involved remembered that and said, wow, you know what? You guys technically lost the bid. Um, you know, the spreadsheet didn't go your way. But next time we have something going on, for example, a new product, it's not on a spreadsheet. And we're going to value that company that's innovative and that has those features and benefits and develop stuff with us instead of just how do I copy and, and win the, 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 you know, the spreadsheet bid. And it was it was tough. I mean, I felt you know, personally, I felt responsible. I lost that chunk of business. You know, my sales manager at the time, he, he's looked at me and said, man, you know, we could have probably manipulated that. And I said, yeah, I, I know. But you know what? We're going to be here in five years and 10 years and 20 years. And, and we did the right thing. And yes, I am definitely upset and sad. Um, but that's that's, you know, unfortunately, that's business. It's a great, great example. And by the way, Darren, this is not part two, because now he Brian just gave me part three in here. So just oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how long ago was that? And, and did you get that additional business back or did you realize a return because of your candor in another way? So it was about um, it was about 10 years ago. And um, I would say the, res the result was actually twofold. One was, um, yeah, we got a little bit of business back a couple of years later from that particular customer. But secondly, um, you know, some of these buyers and purchasers, they move to other mm. companies and Guess what? When they bring their business cards with them and their Rolodex, 
you know, if you have a, a relationship and I don't mean just saying a relationship, you truly care about them and you truly have done a good job. Guess who they're going to call in their new role? And all of a sudden you win new business that you may have never had a shot at because you didn't know anybody there. Now you've got somebody there who knows how you operate and knows that you stay true to your word. Yeah. And, and thank you for sharing that. I, I uh, you, you actually uh, I talk about that very scenario, obviously, from my perspective in, in my past life, but the exact scenario. And I've always found what you just said to be true, that it comes back tenfold in your favor. So um, so the real part two of this question, though, is what advice do you have for others who are faced with a similar situation and they're being pulled to to cover their, you know, to, to, to do what may be more personally expedient so they can find the courage it takes to maintain their integrity? Boy, um, I would say look in the mirror, you know, and, and kind of understand what, what's most important to you. And would you be comfortable explaining how you handled the situation to somebody you work with, maybe someone in your family, maybe a friend? Um, can you live with it, right? Is, is it okay with you? And to me, that's kind of a measure of, 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 that, um, of that particular point, Dave. It's, yeah, it's not, not a, everyone's a little bit different and, and people go about this differently. But that, that would be the advice I'd give them. Yeah, Are you, does it sit well with you? Can, can you sleep at night knowing how you accomplish that? Yeah, and I would I would add one more, and that's all excellent advice. I would add one more piece, which is imagine if one of your employees or one of your customers did something like that to you, right? So put yourself in the other person's shoes, and and for me, that's really helped out. I like that because we, uh, one of my sales team is 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 here for physical meetings. I actually have them interact with our with our purchasing and and, and supply chain individuals to kind of share and contrast what what are some tactics that have worked when people are calling on us when they're trying to sell uh, p products and, and equipment and how have they cold called? How have they gotten in the door? What's what's interesting? Hmm. Um, and then our sales team will kind of, oh, wow, I never tried that. That worked? <laughs> I would have never thought that worked. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's good, very good to kind of see both sides of the, the spectrum, like you said. Great. That's really funny because you talk about the buyer-seller dance. A buyer has a system, a seller has a system. So offline, I would love to hear the um, the intel that your salespeople receive from the purchasing people and vice versa. I think that would be really fun. So I appreciate that. So Brian, my question is, you talk all about values and such. Where did those come from? And you're a Flyers fan, so I, I, I've got a question, just a little bit of values there as a Bruins fan, but we'll let that one go. But where do some of those values come from? Where'd you learn? Oh, uh, boy, I suppose, you know, my family and teachers growing up, um, I'm the youngest of five and it was the bar was raised. My sisters and my brother, you know, if they didn't excel at one thing, they excelled at something else. So if whether it was athletics, whether it was academics, you know, if I got a, a 95 on a calculus exam, my my oldest sister got a 99. And if she didn't, my brother got a 99. So, you know, I don't think my I don't necessarily think my teachers were trying to embarrass me. Maybe they were, but I think they were trying to motivate me and, and just say, you know, here's here's where you can get to. And if you put in the hard work and and if you if you you know, your values are created by those around you. And, and, you know, my family did it the right way and they set the bar and the expectation was you can do this. And I think, you know, the teachers where I grew up were, were the same way like this and coaches as well. Like they, the expectation was, Hey, keep working hard, do it the right way and you will get the results. And I think that I, 
I believe that's true. I, I, I coach youth sports. I absolutely love it. And then, you know, you, you enjoy the little, the little wins and then you start to show them, Hey, there's a pathway here. You know, this pass goes here, this pass goes here. Now look, there's an opportunity. And, and yeah, you can, you know, you might get lucky with a long ball or the Hail Mary or the home run. Sure. But there's the, if, if you do things the right way, day in and day out, you will get results. And I think to me that I've been able to prove that's true and try to coach and teach that to others. And I, I, I can't imagine doing it differently. Like it just wouldn't sit right with me. I wouldn't be comfortable with it. it wouldn't it would feel hollow. Yeah, I think that's great. Small ball, right? That's what you're talking about. And it's absolutely as important in business, if not more so than, than in sports, right? In, in hockey, we talk about the grinders, right? The guys who don't score, but they're doing all the little things right to, to set up and make that play happen, right? And, and uh, wherever we do. So I think that's that's phenomenal. The, the compounding effect of 1% every day improvement is huge, absolutely enormous. You know, you, you shared with us um, that, you know, you have 150 employees and a large number of those, 25 of them have over 30 years of experience. That's almost 17% of your employee base. Uh, you know, not, not to be exact, 16.6666666, but let's not quibble over some <clears throat> decimal places. Um, Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, you have small turnover under 5%. It's which which if I do that math in my head means you maybe lose uh, seven employees a year tops. Um, what's the secret to that success? Because that's got to be huge for 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 retaining corporate knowledge and, and you know uh, creating and maintaining a phenomenal culture. Yeah, it's 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 incredible, and it's something we're proud of. Our our, our favorite thing to do is to have customers visit us because you know we have audits we do our own internal audits we're on the floor regularly uh, but when a customer comes in all i do is notify our team hey this is so and so is coming here's what they typically buy here's what they're interested in that's it i don't go out and try to set up a particular process or you know try to have a particular you know thing scripted so when they walk through if they talk to a supervisor um, if they talk to an operator, if they talk to someone, you know, in shipping or they go to the engineering lab, they're getting the real, this is what really happens. No one's nervous because if I do my job well, I just tell them what I do. And you know what? People walk away. I, I like to take, I like to take a little survey at the end. Like, what did you learn? And almost every one of them writes like attention to detail, attention to quality, pride in what, in what the employees at Dill do. And that like is what I'm most proud of is people care. They genuinely care. They'll come up and knock on my door. Hey, Brian, this, I, I, I think I shut the machine down. I'm machining this, this brass. I, something's wrong. It just doesn't feel right. It's not quite gauging right. What do we do? And, and you know, we'll go into root cause analysis. And I'll, I'll, that's, a, that's a pat on the back. That's a good job. Like, you're supposed to do that. You know, the, the last thing we want is someone to run bad product and leave and say, oh, you know what? It wasn't me. It's no big deal. Um, so that's, that's the beauty of the culture is that people, people take it seriously. They truly care. And what we try to do with new employees is we'll, we'll buddy them up with more experienced employees to kind of get that immersion a little bit. Like where I used to work, I don't think, I don't know how much they cared about me. Well, we do. And we want to have family days and we want to have birthday lunches and we want to celebrate, you know, when you reach a couple of years of employment, we give gifts and, um, you know, it's, it's little things, but they add up. And, and I want to hear like, you know, what's going on? What are you seeing? How is the benefits plan? What are your thoughts about that? How's the cafeteria? How are, you know, what's the selection? We truly want employee feedback because we're going to do something with it. 
And, you know, you, it's loosely used, you know, family atmosphere. But the truth is, you know, the biggest struggle I think we have now is we can't, you know, high five and hug. And everyone knows each other so well that <laughs> we normally do that. Like, you know, people love bringing in baked goods and, uh, you know, try this and try that. And and that employee retention is because they enjoy work. They genuinely like being here. Not every day is perfect. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it, but we, we do have people that really enjoy what they do and if something's going on and they speak up, we we take action. And a lot of that, I think that's a lot of struggle other places is, yeah, you know, I want to I want to make improvements. I'll get to it. No, no, you got to get to it now. If your employees see something that's not safe or they have an efficiency idea, how, you got to jump on that immediately. And and I think once they see that, that leadership is genuine about that, um, they come up with more ideas and they take pride. And it's just like I said, having customers in. It's like the deal clincher because I don't have to do anything. <laughs> I say all these great things. Yeah, we're good at this. We develop new products. We're awesome. But when they come in, I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut. You go see it. And 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 if if it's real, if the 150 people behind me are, are doing it, you'll see it and you'll feel it. And then I just get out of the way and I look good <laughs> because they're the ones doing all the work. I'm just trying to be the the, the mouthpiece to broadcast it. Yeah, I mean, we really just circled right back to integrity again. Right. Because that's really what we're talking about, the integrity of not just you as an individual, but the company. This is how we position ourselves. And this is actually how we are. And and your your team. And I don't even want to say employees um, because, I mean, they are obviously they're, they're, they're getting paid as employees. I say co-workers. I mean, co-workers. We, work, we truly work together every day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they are they, they have pride of ownership and pride of membership. And when you have that, you have esprit de corps, you have everything. Yeah, they make me look good. And 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 the, the sales team, for example, I'll tell you just a quick story. You know, response time, you know, when we survey customers, man, I, you know, we, response time is critical. My customer service team set a goal a couple of years ago. You know, we should have out of every hundred calls that comes in, we should answer at least 95% of them during, you know, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Cool. Let's see how we do. Well, we're 85%. Now we're 90. Now we're 95. Guess what our goal is now? 99%. That's 99 out of 100. That, uh, Marta is, is our customer service manager. Her and the team answer, answer 99 out of 100 calls live. And then my sales managers, I had a customer call a few weeks ago in Dallas, and he's, Brian, I got to talk to you about, about so-and-so. And I said, uh-oh, what's, what's going on? And he was just setting me up because he knows. <laughs> he said his response time is unbelievable. <laughs> he said he gets back to me within an hour. I, I text him a picture of a part or an email gets back to me and he said i sent the same question to your competitor at the same time on a thursday they got back to me on monday and they wow. were surprised that i didn't purchase from them and he said your guy is back to me within hours like that is it's so important and and that's you know it's, you can measure that but people see it and and then who are they going to ask the next time they're going to ask my account manager because he's there ready well you know and we're a leadership sales podcast but you just gave the secret to successful business right there for everybody to listen to just say what you're going to do and do what you say done it's amazing absolutely so i work with a lot of companies and i work with a lot of people that are engineers and a lot of times people can't can't transition from engineers to sales and you went from being an engineer to start into sales leadership so for those that are listening that are engineers and they're trying to dabble into the sales world what was kind of some suggestions that you might have so they'll be able to do that smoothly? Because like I said, I work with a lot of companies that internationally and such, and some have a hard time in that sales arena. 
I think it's challenging, Darren. You bring up a very good scenario. And for me, and I think in general for engineers, the, the cold calling aspect, that's not in our comfort zone. We've never really practiced that or trained for that, right? We want to lead with data and facts and, hey, why can't they see this? This is so clearly better than this. Why don't they understand it? And so I think it's um, to some degree, you know, taking some some courses, take getting access, learning from from either you know mentors within the organization, more senior, or taking taking online um, courses, attending leadership conferences. I mean, that's that's you have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit because you have a message, but you can't deliver it necessarily with a, a couple of graphs and some prototypes and a chart or two. There's a different philosophy there, and and I, you know, for me, it's it, it was it was. It was interesting because depending on I'd go to some customers where it was shirt and tie, like that's what you're going in. And then I'd go visit a distributor where if, you, if I was wearing a shirt and tie, I ripped it off and throw it on the ground. It's jeans and a, you know, a long sleeve T-shirt. And what I enjoyed was I would go on ride alongs with some of our distributors and I'd visit some of the end users and I'd go to to uh, visit waste haulers and heavy duty truck facilities and automotive shops. And, hey, this is how the stuff's being used. Okay. I know how it's designed. I know how it's made. Now I can see it in application. Then you, you start to kind of form, uh, all right, now I see what's more important to them. They may not necessarily care that, hey, I'm using stainless steel for this component. And I think that's the most critical feature. They may care that, hey, look, it's easy to, it's easy to assemble. It's easy, to, it's, it's easy for the guys to, to, to fix, to service. Um, so I think seeing, kind of spending that time to understand the applications and how people actually interact with the product or misuse it. Because you may get returns and, hey, you just beat it up. Well, let's see why. Maybe I need to redesign it. And, and then an engineer can be an asset because they can say, wow, I know how it's made. I know all the details of it. I can fix that. Wow, that's a real problem. I know how to design around that. That's pretty cool. But I think, you know, the cold calling at some point, you just pull the Band-Aid off and you got to be able to, to do it. I, I think you, you, you gain a lot of credibility, though, because you, you have that technical background. So you're not blowing smoke because you truly do know the details of the product. So that you become very reliable in that case. I remember when I was quick sidebar, when I started engineering, I remember we had one particular sales rep who would come in, he'd meet with the purchasing manager. They'd call me in because we would need prototypes built or we'd be doing a design change. Sales rep, nicest guy in the world, but knew zero answers. Everything was, I'm going to have to call back. I'm going to have to call back. So it was just I would just sometimes just bring my list of questions and then say, okay, we're ready to go to lunch. <laughs> and which was, I loved it. I got a free lunch and, uh, you know, for the rep, he had a nice, clear, concise list of what to find out. So it worked fine. Um, but yeah, purchasing wouldn't necessarily consider that a reliable salesperson. So I think if an engineer, there's, there's so much there of value and it's just a matter of kind of how do you get it out there in a format that it, they find valuable and important and, a lot of that's listening, right? You start kind of pinging them. How do you use my product and, or how do you use my service and what's most important to you? Because I think it's this, but I'd love to see what, what you think is most important. And that may kind of, you know, filter out how you manage that. But yeah, it's, it's not, it takes time. I think it's, it's not easy, but I, there, there's a great baseline. And I think once people see that, they're like, wow, you're a resource I've never had before. This is really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. As an engineer, I can empathize with all everything you just said. My first sales job at 21, I was terrible at because I didn't know how to ask good open-ended questions. I didn't know what I should be asking, much less how to ask it. And for me, um, what really worked, and this is, again, going back to how Darren and I met, is having a solid system. Because as engineers, we love systems, right? Repeatable processes that give right. you the same result every time. 
and with sales or leadership, we're dealing with people. So we have all this extraneous stuff, right? In, in, in the military, we say uh, a battle plan doesn't survive contact with the enemy. Well, with people, a sales plan or a uh, leadership plan doesn't survive contact with people. But that doesn't mean you don't have a plan. And, and so having a good systematic approach to understand, okay, where is this falling apart? What do I need to do to fix it was, was really helpful. Um, I'm curious about your transition to leadership now. If you talk about from engineering to sales, and then you went from sales into more leadership role. Now you're dealing with people on a slightly different level. What was your biggest frustration as a new manager, supervisor, leader, whatever title you want to call it, where you were responsible for people? Well, I think I was 29 when when I was uh, promoted to be the president of the company. So I was naive, and that was wow. probably a benefit because um, there were probably things said or seen that it was a good thing I wasn't aware because for me it was, all right, I the, for me it was I knew the people. So that was the most important thing is I have people I can rely on. I know them. I trust that they're going to give me valuable input. It doesn't matter now what level I'm at. Um, I, I'm going to have my open door policy and, and they're going to let me know what's really happening. So I definitely leveraged that a lot. Um, but yeah, being naive, I don't know. I guess it was kind of a, it was definitely kind of a benefit because I didn't think too much about what people thought about me, thankfully. And I just said, all right, here's where we've been. Here's where we want to go. How do we how do we get there? And 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 then try to prioritize, you know, what's most important. And, and to me, our employees have always been at the top of that list. So getting their input, getting their feedback, what are we capable of? What are we incapable of? And then and then what resources do we need? And can we hire that? Or is that something we need to outsource? And who should we partner up with? Um, and then just, you know, surrounding yourself with the, with people you trust and then hopefully hopefully hiring well. <laughs> so so you've got people to, to help you. And I've been very fortunate in that regard. We've always had, had, had a strong leadership team. And, and uh, you know, where I have deficiencies, they could pop in and say, hey, I think that I like your idea there. But <laughs> all right, let's 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 hear Let's get your thoughts, because, I, you know, I love kind of consensus building and I'm going to make the ultimate decision, but I want people's input and especially if they get substantiated. So, yeah, I mean, challenging. But I think if you're if if you care, it's going to show and you're going to go the extra mile and you're going to do the best you can. You're not going to you're not going to leave things short. And most likely you've got it. You've seen especially if you come up within the organization, you've seen where things haven't gone right when you were in, the, in that perspective. Okay, how can I change that? How can this evolve? Um, so yeah, good question. I don't know if that's a great answer, but there's no, no, no bad answers. Frankly, what I heard you say, what I took out of that, that I think um, our listeners should probably key on as much as anything is that your goal as a leader wasn't to be liked, right? You'd have done things differently, right? your goal was to be effective and to get, you know, be respected maybe, but not to be liked. And those are two different things. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's fair. Correct. And the other thing we talked about this in previous podcast, Brian, we talked about the difference between transactional and transformational and what it seems every time you've spoken, you're really talking about transforming the culture, the company, the employees, the team, you know, and, I'm just impressed because you don't hear that a lot. You know, people say it and they're like, oh, that's very important to do. But every time you've spoken, it was like transformational, transformational, transformational. And I just want to point that out. There's really no real question except for I acknowledge that. And I think that's incredibly impressive. 
And then the la I'll, then I'll, I'll ask a question because I have to, right? Because the next thing would be what tips and suggestions besides, you know, say what you're going to do, you know, do what you're going to say, that sort of thing. But any su specific suggestions so someone else can incorporate some of that into their into life? Yeah, I think uh, especially in sales and leadership roles, like you have a goal in mind for a, a phone call, for a visit, for a meeting. And a lot of times we want to kind of impose our cadence, right? This is how it's going to go. Here's what I'm going to get. And sometimes you kind of have to take a step back and, all right, who's my audience here? What are they getting out of this? And if it's calling on a customer, maybe you have to, maybe you should listen to them first. Maybe, maybe they just want to vent about their, their life, their job, their role, this particular decision and kind of just let them roll. And then you show them like, Hey, look, I'm here for you too. And I think it's the same way, you know, within a company is, is I'm here for you. I want to know what's going on instead of me leading with, here's what we're doing today. Here's what's happening. Of course, that's part of the job. Yes. Um, but if you truly care, you're going to, you're going to ask and say, Hey, what's going on? What, how can we be better? Or how can we be better in your area, in your job, in your department, with your machine? And, and it's like, yeah, I mean, exactly what you said, Darren. It's easy to say it, but then you have to either carve out time to specifically do it or you have to create forums. So, you know, we do focus groups as an example. And, hey, look, you can say anything you want, right? <laughs> and, and we get some fun ones. And, and some of my employees, like, you know, like to mess with me. Let's, you know, let's, let's have three days off just for fun because we're having a great time you know um I, or, or, you know i've got the, a good friend in, in machining and he, i i specifically would like a two-hour lunch but nobody else <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's great because because people they have fun with it and they think about it but you get a lot out of it and sometimes it may just be the lighting in my area is not safe and guess what if you do nothing about that that is going to fester and one person will tell another person will not tell another person they don't care about safety is what's going to end up. And that's not true. So, I mean, getting 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 the feedback and responding and putting the horsepower behind it. Um, yeah, just like you said, Darren, because it's easy to say, but ultimately you've got to do it. And a lot of times you have to trust the input and say, hey, I, I trust what they're saying and I've got to improve upon this and let's make it an initiative. And if it's something we can measure, great. If it's something that's more subjective, all right, then we'll try just check in with people. Hey, we did this. We did that. Is it working? How's it going? Um, and if you have trusted employees, you get that thumbs up like that's all right. That validates that, you know, you're, you're in the right direction. All right. So this has been I mean, you talked about, um, you know, having your plan and then just following what you're whoever you're meeting with, what their needs are, which I love. Right. Darren talks about all the time. People have uh, two favorite radio stations, WII FM, and I can never remember the other one, Darren. I just know it's an AM station. What is it? WIFM, what's in it for me? And MMFIAM, make me feel important. I am. That's what people care about. Right, and that's that's exactly Brian what you were talking about. Um, and and obviously this whole interview is going that way, right? Because we we didn't have a real plan other than the first question. We wanted to see what you know was important to you, and you shared some really phenomenal phenomenal advice uh, for our clients. I actually now am prevaricating because I can't remember what my closing question was going to be. So I'm showing my age here. Um, oh, well, as, as, uh, uh, um, what was it? Uh, who was it? The comedian. Um, uh, wow. I am doing bad today. All right, folks, let's not worry about this. Um, Brian, do you have any closing words for us? Yeah, no, honestly, when you when you said that, I actually thought of it. 
I think of kind of a funny story, but we, not this year, but typically we go to a lot of trade shows and I feel like, you know, you mentioned what's advice. I, you know, you always know the people in the industry who are going to be at the hotel bar and they're going to be loud and they're going to be buying the drinks and they think that makes them center of attention. And I feel like there's always, you know, someone else there and hopefully it's, hopefully it's me, hopefully it's you that people congregate around, not because you're paying the tab, not because you're boisterous, but because you're magnetic, because they know, for example, you're work, you're always innovating, you're always working on new products or, you know, you're manufacturing something different or something cool and they just want to know. So they come over because they actually are interested. Like, Hey, you're kind of yeah, networking, but I, I can't stand the word because I feel like networking is, is that's what's in it for you. And I'm networking because I want to get a better job or I want to get that person's business. To me, it's networking because you're kind of building, uh, you know, friends and, and relationships that are meaningful. They're beyond that transaction, like you said. And they come, you know, there's a few of us that would meet even competitors, right? We might meet at the hotel bar. That's I don't care who's paying the tab. But you learn something from each other that betters each other. And a lot of times it betters the industry. And then as people see that, that's to me, the word is magnetic. That's magnetic. You kind of get this core of people who care about how does the industry get safer? How does the industry get better? How does the industry get more efficient? And then everybody gains a little bit um, as a company, but also I feel like personally, individually, especially if you're a business leader, you may not have someone in your organization who might challenge you the same way someone at that level, a customer or a supplier, a competitor, or just somebody else in the industry, there's not, there's no risk to kind of challenge each other a little bit. So kind of elevate your game a little bit. And that's, 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 that's what I enjoy beyond the, you know, my advice to, especially someone new in, in sales or leadership, that's great if you want to go be the loud one and pay for the drinks and all that. But there's other ways, I guess, to, to get attention and for people to want to walk over and say, Hey, How's it going? What are you up to these days? And genuinely say, this is a great connection. Uh, I think that's phenomenal. And, and what I'm about to say is not sarcastic at all. You're buying drinks where you're going to be remembered for the hangover. But when you're sharing really good, solid relationships and, and back and forth, when I was in the moving and storage business, I came in knowing nothing about the industry. I was hired as VP of a company, but I literally knew nothing other than I had experienced a couple professional moves as a customer. It was my competitors who shared with me completely selfish, selfishly, selfish, selflessly. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I am a professional speaker, believe it or not. Um, selfishly, everything they could that made me successful. Right. And, and I gave back, you know, because people, we had things that we did that others couldn't do. We were really strong in local moving. And I was happy to share with what our secret sauce was. It wasn't very secret. And you're right. A rising tide raises all ships. And when the industry improves, Everybody benefits from it. So I think that is probably a great way to uh, close the show uh, with the exception of a shameless plug, which is, folks, if you're looking to create a culture like uh, Brian has at Dill, my command college, uh, which is a quarterly three-day retreat, is going to give you the tools you need to transform your team into self-directed high performers like they have at Dill so that you can focus on the important stuff. So contact me if you're interested. Any any last words, uh, Darren? Well, then I, I don't suppose I can do a shameless plug then, could I? <laughs> sure. I'll let you do that. Thank you for empowering me. I appreciate that. That's fantastic. So if you're a, a business owner and or a CEO or president and you don't know why the salespeople aren't achieving what you want them to achieve, then 
reach out to me. I'm doing a series of webinars on why salespeople aren't as successful as they can be, looking at the buyer system versus the seller system, how the buyer wins every day, and also the five hidden weaknesses that inhibit people's ability to be successful in sales and ways to overcome them. As you know, Dave, it's fairly experiential and entertaining. So they will they'll laugh and have a great time. So there's a couple of uh, options. So just reach out to me and I'd be happy to share information. Absolutely. I laugh at you all the time, Darren, so I can attest to that. Brian, do you have anything you want to uh, close with? I don't know. Thank you very much for having me. You guys are great. And yeah, I hope everybody supports your initiatives because I've seen you speak, Dave, and it is definitely impactful. So, And Darren, I imagine you are because you've got Dave's endorsement. And that's that's strong. So thanks again. Sure. And before, no, Brian, I just want to let you know, Dave asked the best non-question he's ever asked to get that most amazing response. So I don't know how you did it, Dave, but maybe we can look at that again and just not ask a question and watch what, what someone does like Brian did because he really gave the best answer possible to that question. To the non-question. I might be on to something. Don't ask effective questions. Maybe the title of my next book. The lack of questioning techniques. I think it's fantastic. All right. Great idea. All right, guys. Thank you. Till next time. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them.